0: Welcome, you're tuned in to Make Room Podcast. I am your host Dawn Booser and this is episode 5, part 2 of the first series of Make Room Podcast. In this episode we'll be delving into the subject of allyship, the truth versus the false. I've invited two friends and colleagues to help break down this topic and share in their observations and involvement. In part two of this episode, I'm joined by guest host, Kevin Mandler-Harris. Originally from East St. Louis, Kevin currently works in member stewardship in Chicago, Illinois. He holds a BFA in acting from Millican University and spent a period of time studying theatre performance at the Globe Theatre in London. Kevin is also a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, Incorporated. His professional interests include theatre education, community outreach, theatre performance, and social advocacy. Because of these interests, Kevin is pursuing his Masters in Social Work at a prominent university in Chicago, with future hopes of eventually opening his own therapeutic centre, with a focus in providing therapy to black and brown communities. You're tuned in to Make Room Podcast.
1: Hi, Kevin. Hi. How are you? I am very good.
0: So what are you doing up to?
1: You know, <laughs> figuring out the next plans for my yeah. journey. You know, applying for some grad programs, working from home
0: it's been a challenging time I feel like for a lot of people but I feel like there's a lot of blessings that have come out of this time as well I don't know about you but I'm just grateful for the time that I had to rest (laughs) during Mm -hmm. that like official lockdown period because I didn't I didn't realize how much I needed it but yeah so today we're talking about allyship true and false I guess this will basically be coming from the perspective of us as people who identify as Black. You know, perhaps we've had to play the role of an as an ally for other communities and other groups of marginalised people. It would be great to hear some of your experiences. And so before we start, I just wanted to read off a quote by Martin Luther King He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I think that's such a poignant quote that's been used quite a lot as well during this time with the protests that have been happening globally over the past few months. I mean, what are your thoughts on what's happened and, and what you've seen from people who identify as allies?
1: This has been such a weird time. I've had several conversations with older generations because I think it's important to, to talk to people that you know were coming of age were in their 20s in times when mm-hmm. racial inequality was even worse than it is now. And everyone that I've talked to, they've all said that they have never seen a period in time such as this, where mm-hmm. you have so many people who are now starting to speak up and say how they feel about things. And, you know, speaking for people of color, black people specifically, I've seen so many people that have come forward with like, you know, as they say in church, their testimonies Mm. of the experiences they've had in their life with racism and discrimination. But it's also been refreshing to see a large number of non-people of color, specifically white people, that have spoken up.
0: Mm.
1: However,
0: I know it's coming.
1: <laughs> I find that I am very cautious about seeing a lot of white people speaking up and their motives behind why they are speaking up.
0: Mm. One thing that I've experienced, and I don't know if this has been similar for you, especially at the beginning of everything, you know, it must have been about a week since George Floyd had passed or was murdered, I should say. And, you know, the protests had been going on daily, maybe not even a week. I think it'd just been a few days. And I'm getting Facebook messages. I'm getting um, text messages. I'm getting phone calls from not just white people, but other people of color who aren't Black. People I've maybe not even spoken to for at least a decade, all coming to me talking about how they're really sorry that this stuff is happening, you know I, and at that point, I had shared a story on Facebook of an a racial encounter that I had experienced or a situation that I'd experienced whilst I was back at school, and people were also responding to that, saying that they're really sorry that that had happened, saying things that they're really also quite shaken up by what's been happening recently, and that you know they' they're but they're, they're basically trying to express their support in some way i'm grateful for definitely let's not get that confused i am grateful for it you want to know that there are people out there who when you say something are listening but i did find myself falling into this weird position where i'd be thanking them and and i had to stop and i was like why am i thanking these people and what am I thanking them for specifically? Because they haven't done anything outright that deserves gratitude in that sense. So there's, there's there's nothing that they've done that has affected the arrest of the officers who who killed George Floyd. There's nothing that they did at the, you know, in the moment at the time where during that experience that I explained on Facebook, you know, where I was put in a situation as a victim of racism that they had they had not participated in any of that all they've done is message me to say I noticed this is happening I've noticed you've made a post about this particular this particular subject I want you to know that I've noticed (laughs) and I'm Mm -hmm. here thanking people for that it just doesn't sit right with me what about you
1: see um and and I found that not only was I thanking people, but then I was getting angry for thanking them. And then <laughs> I was angry at those people. And, you know, I don't want to speak out of a place from anger, but I'm be real. Several of those people uh, are people that in my past have stood by and watched racist things happen to me. Uh-huh. And they never spoke up there. They never said anything. Uh-huh. And several of those people were the same people who were then saying those racist and discriminatory things about me behind yeah. my back. I think it's interesting <laughs> how now, you know, right. those people want to come to the forefront and be like, oh my God, like, I'm so sorry for the things that are happening to you. But I'm sitting mm. back like, you were the person who, when I was, you know, 15, mm. doing theater in high school, you to buy and let certain people not, cast me in certain roles because I was black and I was Mm. in high school, you know, this is not a professional production. This is high school. Mm. I just think no one wants to be labeled as a horrible racist person, but I think we all have to realize that we are products, you know, at least on the American side, but globally, we Mm. are all products of racism. We are all products of colonization. Mm-hmm. We are all the descendants of those people that were either enslaved, colonized, or were colonizers mm-hmm. and I think that 's the first step to then actually being able to work on yourself. The purpose of you being an ally should not be to you know uplift yourself to receive the satisfaction for yourself, to boost your ego. Yeah. It should be to boost and uplift those people that you are an ally for. Mm-hmm. I even heard a, um, he's a he's a LGBTQ plus writer. His name is George M. Johnson. And I heard him
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he mentioned that, you know, he's even started to stop using the word ally and he started mm-hmm. to say advocate. Being an ally, like you're an ally, but like what are you really doing mm-hmm. for those people that you call yourself being an ally to? Mm-hmm. But when you're an advocate, you're advocating on behalf of those people for those people in Mm. spaces that those people will never have a chance to be in. Uh,
0: No, I agree. I do think when it comes to allyship, there are two roles that people can choose to, to, to fall into, Mm -hmm. either the passive role or the active role. That passive role is very dangerous ground just because when you're a passive ally, you are vulnerable to, Falling into the trap of being surface about it and not Mm -hmm. actually being effective about what you're doing. And, you know, it's not to say that there's a right or wrong when it comes to being passive or active, but I do think those who choose to start off in their allyship journey as passive, at some point they have to acknowledge that they need to start taking an active role because Mm -hmm. it's by taking the active route that the real change starts to happen. It's when you really start to see your actions have an effective outcome. And, you know, I think a gleaming example of that is how hard people were fighting and were out there when George Floyd um, had been killed. You know, it, it took time, but because of not only how vocal people were and not just from signing the petitions and donating money but also because of people being out there being present showing face allowing themselves to go head to head with the police and with the military that is the main reason why we were able to get the kind of footing and the kind of covered ground that we did when it came to George Floyd however when it comes to Breonna Taylor for example Mm -hmm. I think people have taken a very passive role Mm -hmm. with her case. You've had people who've done the bare minimum of signing petitions and donating a little bit of money, you know, making a post here or there, showing a hashtag here or there. Yes, you have seen people out on the streets, forcibly inputting her name in the conversation, but we're not seeing enough being done from those who have more effective powers than black people, you know? You're not seeing a lot more done by white celebrities right now that really have that impact. And not just celebrities, I'm talking about white people who maybe have somebody in their family who has some sort of a political career background, have some form of influence within their companies, you know? You're not hearing Brianna's name at those higher, higher levels like you did with George Floyd. The problem is when you're a passive ally, you're not really putting on the kind of pressure that needs to be put on. You're not really sacrificing anything to, to change or to, to affect the outcome. I mean, what are your thoughts on passive and active allyship?
1: I just think that when you commit to something, you have to, to really do your research and then commit to that. This is a time where you cannot stand by and not have an opinion. And that is for anybody. That is for Black people. That is for white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, all people. Mm -hmm. You cannot stand by and not have an opinion. And I feel like in order to really have a good opinion, you have to educate yourself Mm -hmm. on what is going on with that group of people. You know, what are they dealing with? What are the best ways that you can help them? Right. And you know, I think for our generation, there's a difficulty because we think that just by posting on, you know, social, social media, media yeah. in our like group chats with people that all agree with us, like having <laughs> these conversations about things and we think that like that's doing change, but like that's not doing change. Like those people in those earlier eras in those earlier times, those people in the 60s, those people even in the 90s, Mm-hmm. were going out and they were marching and they were protesting and mm-hmm. they were pushing for changes to happen within their community. Um, so you have to do something. Now, you know, I was having this conversation with my mother, who is a minister. She was explaining to me that it's like we're all like one body of Christ, you know, that's something that like you yeah. talk about in the church. You hear about
0: the like, church, And yeah. like
1: everybody has like, their role in you know bringing people to God, and I, I feel like that's the same that's the same way when it comes to these issues like you know civil rights, making sure that people live in an equitable society. We all have our role. So mm-hmm. while you might not be a person who goes out and protests, or you might not be a person who takes physical actions per se, mm-hmm. you can be someone who in your workplace you look around and you notice like, oh, we don't have enough people of color working here. Mm. Let me create a task force to make sure that we have a more diverse workforce so that Mm. we can reach these different communities. Mm. You might be, and you might work for a theater company and you realize that all the shows you are doing are the same shows they were doing in 1945 and it's 2020. Mm. So then you realize that We aren't, you know, getting new, diverse voices in our productions and behind the scenes, on the stage. So we're going to make sure that we do shows that are specifically created for people of color that are about those experiences, those diverse experiences. Or we're going to take shows that we do and choose Mm -hmm. to cast someone of color in that role. So there are different things you can do. You can educate People in your family about the rights of others and about their backgrounds and about what they're going through. So there are multiple ways to be active. But I think that because we live in this social media age, Mm. it's very easy for us to be passive because you think if you click like, that's creating change. And you click like, you know, yet there's another trans woman who just got killed. Mm. You clicking like hasn't done anything to prevent that from happening again. You just click like
0: it doesn't have the ripple effect that you think it does. That's why I feel, you know, social media has been both a blessing and a curse when it's come to the movement, especially in recent years, and any sort of other protests or civil civil rights movement that's been happening across the globe. It's mm-hmm. been both a blessing and a curse because it's a blessing in a sense that it's helped to spread information very quickly. You know, when Egypt had its uprising, That was, Twitter played a huge role in how effective information was being sent um, to the people who needed it, who were on the ground, in Ground Zero, in in the eye of the storm. Just being able to have your phone and record has helped to elevate the, or or put the spotlight on um, police brutality, especially against Black Um, members of the community in the states and over here in the UK and you know in other parts of the world as well but Mm. at the same time like we're saying it is a curse because it's not the solution it is not the path that we should rely on in order for us to solve the the root of the issue Um, Mm. in order for us to do that we do need to be a lot more active you know I was I've always been talking about how important research is and how important Mm -hmm. staying informed is because before you go out and start fighting or speaking on anything, I would hope that you are well-informed and I'd hope that you've done your research. The last thing you need, especially in today's day and age, is to post something publicly on social media and be misinformed and say the wrong thing because of the cancel culture that we've got at the moment, which I also think is very toxic, you know, you, you could find yourself in a very uncomfortable situation very quickly. And it's very dangerous. You know, people have taken their lives because of um, that misinformation that's been spread. So I do think people need to take heed. We're a generation where people don't really necessarily like to Read, I don't think, and you know that's the fault of this instant gratification society that we're in, where you've got everything on demand, and all you have to really do to get by is just read the the head- news headline before you, before you share the article. And you know, people, people relying on visual media, when we all know, especially when it comes to visual media and the news, there are so many biases out there that you are very rarely even being told correct information you know trump coined this term fake news i don't like to agree with trump i don't (laughs) but i will say people need to stay alert and aware of where their news is coming from what sources they're getting their news from because just like with the far right you know the far The far left news can be just as detrimental to us being able to gain correct and factual information Mm because at the end of the day everyone's got an agenda and we need to think more we need to learn to think more critically
1: these things that are going on are products of centuries old dilemmas and problems these are things that happened hundreds of years ago to our ancestors and we don't even really necessarily understand like why we might be going through some of these things. But then if you do the research, you're like, well, you know, my fifth great grandfather was an African who was brought Mm -hmm. to this country, you know, against his will. His daughter was then raped. Mm -hmm. And then she was forced to do all these things. And like her child was sold. And you're not understanding why there are these certain things that are repeating Mm -hmm. in the present time. And, And the issue with social media now is that that can easily be flipped. Like, I remember a few years ago, there was this post about Harriet Tubman and about like, this, like, oh, look at her. Like, she looks so good. Like, she was always a queen. Look at her in this dress.
0: I and know, then, they were saying that, oh, you know, and this and this is definitely coming from the left, but they were like, history's always taught us that Harriet, Harriet Tubman was this ugly, old, decrepit looking woman. And the whole time, they're posting the picture of a completely different woman. I don't think she ever even touched American soil in her lifetime. (laughs)
1: not at all. Yes, like Harriet Tubman was a young woman. You know, most of the pictures that we'll have of her are going to be from when she was older, because that's during the time Mm. when photography was, you know, was getting better. But, like, it's stuff like that. And, like, if you didn't do the research and didn't know your stuff about it, and you would see their post and be like, oh my God, look at Harriet Tubman. Look at mm. this gorgeous dress. Like she was a queen. Yeah, it's fierce. And it's like, no, Harriet Tubman was a slave. Like she wouldn't have been walking around <laughs> in a dress like that. Like, yes, yeah. she, you know, ran away and, mm. you know, her life was somewhat better later on, but
0: mm. that was not her.
1: And it's the same thing with what we deal with now.
0: It is. I think it's interesting to talk about how, people have been posting, people who are allies have been posting about how tired they are with being an ally. I love seeing (laughs) the subsequent posts that come from that just shut that down immediately because I'm sorry that this tires you. I'm so sorry that this is such an inconvenience to your privileged life. I'm sorry that this has disrupted your previously comfortable and sheltered existence. But no, no, we do not need to be hearing about how exhausted you are having to make posts on social media, how exhausted you are about having to hold conversations that are rightly uncomfortable, but that's how, that's what they're going to be. This is not for the faint of heart. You really have to know that when you're going into this you like you said at the beginning you are going fully in full force you cannot have one foot in and one foot out it does Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work that way
1: it makes you think about that meme of um i think it's rose mcgowan when she's like imagine how tired we are (laughs) and that's exactly how i feel like you're tired but my people have been going through this for 400 years 400 Mm -hmm. plus years
0: like We've been tired. I fear that people think that it's a momentary thing. I think, I fear that people think that, you know, I'm I'm an ally and I'm going to be posting and I'm going to be fighting for justice for George Floyd, justice for Ahmad, justice for Brianna. And then as soon as, you know, they're satisfied or an outcome happens that they're satisfied with, that they're just going to go back as it was before for them, not realizing that it's not a momentary movement. It is a lifetime commitment. Like I said in an earlier recording, this is something that you need to make a full on commitment to. It's not just about getting justice for those who whose lives were unjustly taken away. It is about when you walk down the street, you feel this sudden urge As a black man is walking towards you to cross the street Mm. or maybe clutch your purse tighter or maybe grab your keys to understand where that's coming from, to recognize it and to realize that this idea that black men, for example, are a threat to you unless it's coming from an experience that you yourself has have experienced where you have been attacked by a black man and a black man that was targeting you because you are a white woman, for example, unless you've got that specific of an experience in life, there is no reason, there is no founding for whatever feelings of an anticipation you've got or anxiety you've got as you're walking as this black man's walking towards you and as you guys cross paths there is n- there is no founding for that all coming from things that you were taught things that you heard things that you yourself have never experienced firsthand and therefore there is no justified reason for you to be behaving in that kind of way when you take on this role as an ally you are taking on this responsibility to unteach yourself the many wrong things that you were taught and we're not just talking about things in school, we're talking about maybe your mother told you or your grandmother Mm. told you or your father told you, things that you've always been taught to be aware of. You know, when we're talking about researching, we're talking about staying informed great thing that I think people especially people who claim to be allies should be behind is reformation within the education system across the globe and I'm talking about exam boards I'm talking about school boards I'm talking about the kinds of materials that are brought into the classroom I'm talking about you as a self-proclaimed ally who is a teacher make the concerted effort to teach history correctly, to teach it without holding back and to do your research in order for you to teach it honestly and correct. Recognizing that you yourself have maybe been taught things in a certain way that have either sugarcoated or put a gray area to certain events in history or maybe just washed over it completely. And those are important things for you to do that you can do as an ally.
1: It's so funny that you say education because I was literally thinking about the same thing as you were talking because it it just makes me think about, like, I was very fortunate to have a very good education prior to college. At my middle school, our teachers, they were mostly white. The students were black, but our teachers were educated. Our history teacher, he would teach us from the regular history textbook, but then we also learned from um, Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Mm -hmm. And what I like about Howard Zinn is he tells U.S. history from the point of view of women and minorities. So you're learning about it through a completely different lens, Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for us to get a well-rounded view of history. Because there are things that I'm finding out now Mm -hmm. that I didn't even know. When you look at some of the things that, again, are going on now, you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. The reason why Black women are more likely to die during childbirth is because of during slavery, how gynecology kind of came to be. And it came from, you know, these doctors working on these slaves because they were Mm -hmm. taught that, you know, Black women weren't as susceptible to pain. And so that's why, you know, certain things happen now. I remember in college, there was a class Mm -hmm. and we were talking about like all these things like slavery and colonization. And these were things that like I knew. Mm -hmm. But then these are things that other people in that class, like, didn't know. And it's not their fault. It's the education system's Mm -hmm. fault. We have to start teaching everything from a well-rounded point of view Mm -hmm. instead of one specific point of view. Because that is how you create well-rounded adults who can then appreciate different cultures and different people. And then some of these problems we wouldn't even have if we were educated about them.
0: Of course. It, you know, it just makes me wonder why it hasn't happened yet. I don't know. I, I almost feel like there there's this nationalist agenda behind it. And I'm not just talking about America. I'm even talking about here in the UK where, you know, these execs who sit on these Exam boards come together and say, you know, we can't use this kind of material because it, it, it basically puts our country into a negative light, or it shines a negative light on the monarchy, or it shines a negative light on this specific person, and this specific person actually ben- uh, did a lot to benefit the economy of our country, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I almost wonder if those sort of conversations end up happening in those behind those closed doors.
1: Basically, to have control over information. Is to have absolute power. If I'm controlling what you know about a situation, I can hide it. I can keep it going for as long as I need to, for as long as I need to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing with, I mean, it's, it's like whenever you see cultures that, you know, their governments shift. Mm-hmm. So they go from maybe having a, a more democratic government to a fascist government. Mm-hmm. The first thing they attack is the press. They then start to attack the education system, they start to burn books, they Mm -hmm. start to destroy all the artwork, they start Mm -hmm. to destroy all these things that have to do with self-expression and information. Mm -hmm. Because the whole purpose of keeping control over people is keeping control over what is going in their minds Mm -hmm. and controlling the information so that you can brainwash those people. I mean Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why the Holocaust was even able to happen in the way that it happened because they were controlling this information. So if you, you know, if you have control over the information, you have control over the people, and that Mm -hmm. is why they always say, I, I, you know, my grandma used to say this: if you put information in a book, Mm -hmm. then you can keep it from a black person because they have trained black people to not read, they have trained Mm -hmm. black people to not want to get that knowledge. So if I put it in the book. I know this black person isn't going to read it. And obviously, you know, like majority of us read now and like we have somewhat better opportunities, but the information is still being controlled, you know, with with social media and with the Internet. You have to make that commitment to educate yourself if you know that the education that you're getting Mm -hmm. is not the right education and it's Mm. brainwashed.
0: When it comes to your role as an ally, an ally is somebody who is for humanity at the end of the day. One thing to point out is that we are in no way saying that we're trying to create a utopia where everyone likes each other, everyone loves each other. We're talking about Tolerance. Because I think that is a skill, a social skill that a lot of people are lacking in. And I think it's the cause for a lot of people still holding on to whatever racist views that they have or whatever prejudice views that they have because of a lack of tolerance. They've not been taught how to tolerate people who are different from them. You shouldn't be out there trying to force your grandmother, who's been a racist old 90 something year old woman, to all of a sudden proclaim her love for black people. We're asking you to teach her how to tolerate people in a sense that these people exist. Number one, they're human just like me they're entitled to the same rights, just like I am. And I may not agree with everything that they do. I may not fully understand it. I may not always like it, but I can cohabitate with them. I can coexist with them. Being able to tolerate that and tolerate them and building that tolerance, I think is what's really going to have an effective outcome in the end. What are your thoughts on some of the false signs of allyship we see people who claim that they're allies but you know have habits or have tendencies or views that really kind of expose them to be anything but
1: it's frustrating me being the person i am like i want to believe good things about people like i want to believe that they are like really trying to help my people are trying to help me and then you see things that they do and then they don't apologize for it and Mm -hmm. they continue to promote these like horrible notions and it's just very frustrating i have had quite a few experiences dating non-black people specifically Mm -hmm. white people yeah and you know it it's a tricky situation Because in in every ideal, like, romantic encounter, you want it to be just two people, like, connecting in some way, but then you also have to take into account, like, economic factors and race factors, and Mm -hmm. the fact that this person is from a completely different culture, they're not going to understand some of the things that you go through. You know, it's crazy because it's like, I find that, especially in the gay community, with a lot of of white gay men they think that by saying like oh like he's such a chocolate man or he has a BBC oh your hair it's so like different it you know they think by (laughs) by turning you into this fetish like they're helping you or like they're you know one of the people or they're and then you try to have you know conversations with those people and let them know like hey, you referring to me as having the BBC, like, that's not cool. That's not okay. That's not what we should be doing. But they continue to do it because someone else that, you know, might have been Black or some other experience that they've had has told them that it's okay for them to say that to that person. Again, I just think that as an ally, you have to realize that you are not an expert on the people's you know, experiences that you are trying to help. So, for example, I'd say that I'm an ally to women, especially Mm -hmm. Black women. But I have no idea what Black women go through. I can hear all the stories all day, every day, but I will never truly understand Mm -hmm. what a Black woman goes through when she walks outside Mm -hmm. and goes to work, goes to the store. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I can read Bell Hooks. I could read Maya Angelou poems. I could listen to Viola Davis talk. I could watch Red Table talk. I will never completely understand. Will I have more knowledge maybe than another man? Absolutely, I'll have more knowledge, but I will never completely, fully understand her experience. And I think that that is important for an ally to understand. You will never understand that person's experience. So if they tell you, hey, that was offensive, or maybe you should do more research on that because that's not actually what happens. You need to do more research on that. You need to take their word for it. It is okay to be wrong. And I think, I think people don't want to be wrong. White people have this, and not just white people, but any, any person who's in a privileged position, because you have this privilege, you live in this insulated world. And because of your privilege, you know, you're, the world is constructed to help you. But, you know, that's why being an ally, it's a thankless thing. And it's a hard thing because you have to step down from that perch, from that throne. You have to be willing to educate yourself on what that person is going through and and what they deal with. I don't understand completely what, you know, Latinx people go through because I'm not Latinx. You have to be willing to admit that. I don't understand what women are going through because I'm not a woman. But then you have people that, you know, they just want to be right. And if you're that person who, you know, you just want to be right about everything, then honey, you don't need to be an ally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there is a level to having to humble yourself when when you take on that take on that role and that responsibility and it really is a responsibility and I use that word I don't use it lightly you are now in control of what information comes out from you you are now in control of what influences you give out to those around you especially in your close circle and when you take on, when you decide to take on that role, you need to be prepared to be met with a lot of friction, especially at the beginning and a lot of uncomfortable moments that you just have to sit in and just have to take. It's not about humiliation. It is not about guilt tripping. It is not, it's not about any of that. It is solely about making sure that you are well-informed and making sure that you are always working with the right intentions. You know, I I do think about moments where, especially at the beginning of the George Floyd protests, where, you know, people were trying to force others to speak up about racism or speak up about the Black Lives Matter movement. I was very much on the side of you know if, if you're not speaking up and if you're not saying anything well then you are definitely part of the problem if, if you're not making a post that I can see <laughs> then you are part of it and you are guilty you are just as guilty as those who are racist but I've had to actually evolve that thought I've acknowledged that it is not for everyone to make a post on social media about it I do understand that for some people in order to get into it they do need to go through some sort of a private journey and you know this is this is coming from somebody who at one stage was homophobic my journey into becoming an ally for the lgbtq plus community was having to spend a lot of time doing self-reflection and recognizing why i had the thoughts that i did and why you know i had the opinions that i did so i can understand why for some people it wasn't for them to immediately start posting on social media against racism
1: i'm kind of in the middle with that because Mm. i do feel like as an you know ally or advocate you should you should use every platform you have to say what you say. But I'm glad that you, you know, you mentioned your specific experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, you know, recognize that like being an ally isn't I mean that's a part of every community. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always someone who has a worse off than you. Mm-hmm. And that's something to always keep in mind. It's a struggle. If you do come from a certain background. And you have family members who, you know, they believe certain things and the family is important to you, then Mm -hmm. you will hold yourself back. I mean, I've even done that, like with things that I have been passionate about. I haven't posted about them because I'm like, oh, well, you know, my family might not like that. Or like Mm -hmm. I have family members that are religious, like they might not like that I'm posting about like trans people. That might not be something that some of those family members, you know, want to hear. It is a journey. But I think the first step is realizing that it is a journey Mm. and that, you know, I think you do have to be patient with yourself, but you also have to realize that, like, yes, while you're being patient and taking your time, that's also a luxury. You have the luxury to be patient and take your time. You know, speaking of, like, Black rights, if you're a white person, like, that black person does not have the luxury of taking their time dealing with being black. Mm-hmm. I mean, every black person, as far as I know, that, like, that has black parents, they have had their parents have had that conversation with them that every black parent has with their child mm-hmm. about what life is going to be like for them. So you, you don't have the luxury as a black person of like taking your time. You're three years old. You're on the playground, and then you see a white parent, you know, taking her child away from you. Mm. You're three, four, five. You don't understand why that's happening. So yeah. you're being forced to deal with these things very early. Right and I think from that the that get-go. Right, and I think that that's something that allies have to realize. Like that's a that's a privilege to be able to take to have the luxury of taking your time.
0: Yeah, most definitely. We've been talking about ways that allies can show their support. I think ultimately it all starts from home as much as, you know, we've given advice of all these great things that you can be doing out in public. um, There are many things that you should be doing through your own self growth with your own immediate circle at home. I also want people to realize that when we say it's a lifetime commitment, it's not just because, you know, this is something that we should rightly so uphold and, these are values that we should continue to to advocate for the rest of our lifetimes. But um, we also say this because it's not an overnight change. You're not overnight gonna stop having your prejudice or racist views. It takes time. That is okay. No one is here to rush you. But like you said, to recognize that you've got that privilege of taking your time to reach that level is paramount. That is one of the ways that you'll be able to truly start to delve into what your privilege, how your privilege manifests itself. And also it it does humble you because then you start to realize, oh, wow, just the fact that I don't even have to think twice about submitting a a job application. And I don't even have to, I don't have to have the worries of thinking about how my name is going to come across to people thinking about when I tick what race I am what effect that's gonna have when it comes to this decision making before they've even met me thinking about my educational background and whether or not I've had the privilege of of having a good quote-unquote education all these other factors even your address I don't think people realize how important your address and your postcode or zip code can be and realizing that just like within the states you know we've got sections here in the UK where maybe it's not outwardly redlining but it is situations where you find minorities congregating in specific postcodes because they want to keep a strong community, Uh, immediately your postcode is either deemed attractive or unattractive.
1: You know, that's the whole reason why my name is Kevin. You know, my my mom specifically was like, she didn't want to give me a name that would immediately, you know, cause someone to perceive me Mm. as Black. Mm -hmm. You know, which is crazy to hear. But I mean that you know that's the thing that we have to do when people see Kevin Harris, unless they know me they they're not thinking like necessarily that a black person is going to show up and mm-hmm. i there have been countless times where like people have you know I know that they like know my name, and they've like said, "Oh, Kevin Harris, like Kevin's coming or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I walk in the room and there's this complete like shock because they weren't expecting Kevin Harris <laughs> to be me
0: yeah. I mean, it's the same reason why in some African households, you know, you do give your children anglicized names in order for them to just sort of get by a little easier. There have been people that I've spoken with who've gone to school, started school with their given name, but then the school will purposefully alter that name or anglicize it or give them a nickname or will request a nickname. Yeah, it's a big thing. I mean, so I went to a boarding school for my high school years. I stayed in the boarding houses and the boarding student body was predominantly made up of students from Hong Kong, a few other parts of Asia. What I always found interesting was that these girls would come full on Chinese names, but would always have a nickname it may have eventually become their legal names but for a lot of them you know I do think that the recruiters or the school or their parents had made a conscious decision to have given them a, a more easier name, a more pronounceable name. And we're talking about, you know, accommodating for the very British faculty and, and staff. I, I always found that really interesting. Like with your case, um, that's the reason why my name is the name that I was given. You know, I I, I always kind of carried around this sense of shame because I've got African names but none of them are official like on my birth certificate or on my passport like I always felt like why am I hiding this part of myself you know Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I then as I grew up became a lot more vocal and uh, and embodied that part of me a lot more like I had the power to regain ownership.
1: It just all goes back to this proximity to whiteness and, you know, because of colonization, because of slavery, our ancestors were put in situations where the only way for them to survive was to be as close to whiteness as possible. That's why we have these terms, good hair and bad hair. That's why we have the names that we have. That's why we have colorism. Because the lighter you are, the closer you are to white. The more European your features are, the closer you are to having it easier than someone who, you know, looks like they are of African descent. Uh, So it's all about that proximity to whiteness. And it's frustrating because it's something that we all have to deal with, you know, as like professionals, artists, you know, sometimes in order to get people to even view your work or to see you perform, they have to feel comfortable with you, so you find that, like, you know, you code switch mm. or you speak a different way when you're around white people than you do when you're around your own people. So mm. it all has to do with like this obsession we have with Europeanness and European features and European right.
0: ideas. At work, I find myself interacting with at least. 20 to 50 people on like a weekly basis you know I encounter people from all over the globe and there are names that I've never seen before but I make the conscious effort to ask you know you know how do I pronounce your name and they they almost sort of cower away and they say oh like you, you can just say, you can just call me this or call me this shortened version because it'll be easier. And I'll say, no, but I want to, I actually, I'm interested. I'd, I'd like to know how I to got, pronounce yeah. <laughs> your name. That is me helping to express my recognition that their names are important their names deserve to be said help me to pronounce your your name and i'll try and if i butcher it the first time that's okay and mm-hmm. i think i end up building a good work relationship with those with with those clients
1: again that goes into being an ally like just make an effort that's the best first step you can take make the effort to actually understand the person that is sitting you know in front of you because they they're different but They are still a human just like you. Mm. And you would want someone to understand you and treat you in an equitable manner.
0: Exactly. I am so glad that we were able to have this conversation, Kevin. Such an important one to have. And I'm glad that I was able to also get your perspective as well. You know, and I'm glad because we don't necessarily have the exact same views on everything, which is always a healthy thing to have when you've got. relationships and friendships with people right Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for your time are there any exciting things that you're up to recently
1: well I can say that uh in January Mm -hmm. I will be uh starting an MSW program to get my master's in social work you know one step closer to becoming a drama therapist and then hopefully you know providing therapy to black and brown and queer people and then other than that you know continuing to pursue art and be an artist i'm trying my best to uh stay on top of things
0: now, thank you again for your time and uh we look forward to hearing back from you soon kevin Ooh, thank you